Welcome to the Pillar Podcast, a ministry of the Pillar Church in Rochester, New York. This is our weekly podcast where we will go over the passages of Scripture from the past weekend or the weekend coming up. Our goal is to encourage you, inform you, educate you, and help you get through your week and grow closer to Christ. Hey everyone, welcome back one more time. Today we're going to be talking through Matthew chapter 6. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the passage around the Lord's Prayer, um, starting in verse 5. You know, there's two spots in the Gospels where Jesus kind of talks about this particular prayer that we know of as the Lord's Prayer. Um, In chapter 6 of Matthew, it falls within the Sermon on the Mount, and this is really that area of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is kind of throwing a lot out there when it comes to how do we live, um, a little bit of um, interpretation of the Old Testament, a uh, little bit of kind of new new life and new breath. It, it's really this important chunk of all of the Gospel narrative in the entire New Testament. And right near the beginning, Jesus emphasizes the importance of prayer by putting it so early on in this message, but also by telling us how to do it. And so there's a lot to be learned. Before we jump into the scripture, I kind of want to uh, tell a little bit of story of my own personal experience with this prayer. So in high school, I remember the first football game. We're sitting there in the locker room, getting ready to go out on the field, And the coach says, all right, everybody, take a knee. And now, just keep in mind, I grew up in Arkansas, so uh, praying before sports events as a team was not that uncommon. Um, For those of you that might live in other parts of the world or other parts of the country where it is a little bit more uncommon, just know that it, it wasn't really thought of anything other than as second nature where and when I grew up. But what caught me off guard was what happened next. So I grew up Southern Baptist, and while the Lord's Prayer is a part of pretty much all of Christianity because it's in the Gospels, um, the reciting of it pretty regularly is not something that happens in a lot of churches that aren't more liturgical. And by that, I mean um, kind of having more set things that happen fairly regularly in the worship experience, whether it's communion and a certain blessing. Um, The Lord's Prayer is one of those things. So when we kneel, and everybody starts praying, and everybody's saying the same thing, we weren't really given a heads up as to what prayer was going to be coming, and it was so strange that almost everybody in this room knew this prayer by heart that I didn't. Now, I've never been one that's been great at memorization, But I went to church since before I was born, and it was a little embarrassing as someone who knew they were called to ministry to not have this prayer memorized. Needless to say, I figured it out pretty quickly, but that's the story of how I learned the Lord's Prayer. It wasn't in Sunday school. It wasn't in class. It was in the football locker room before games in high school football. So with that little aside behind us, let's hop right in. Now I'm going to be reading today out of the New International Version 
Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And when you do pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. So we kind of started out with, this is how you shouldn't pray. Now we're getting into the content. What should we be praying about? What is kind of an outline of the way we should be praying? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So another quick aside, when we go back to the beginning of this, when Jesus is talking about where you should pray, where you shouldn't pray, um, I remember the line, the verse that says, go into your room, close the door, and pray. Um kind of that quiet place a secret place is is what it was referred to a lot when i was growing up i remember reading that and taking it so literally that i actually found a spot and kind of burrowed a little spot in my closet set a sleeping bag some some christmas lights up and that's where i would go and pray when i was a kid um Obviously, when I got a little bit older, I realized that it wasn't saying that you actually had to go to a secret place to pray. But what came out of it was the recognition of having a place that is designated for prayer kind of becomes sacred. It becomes a place. It it kind of sets a tone for you. It it puts you in the right mentality. I don't know if um, any of you have any habits um, whether maybe you have like a particular shirt that you really enjoy wearing when you go on vacation. But sometimes there's just those things. There's Maybe you uh, have a, a grandmother who is a great cook, and any time you walked into their home, there was maybe the waft of pumpkin pie or stew, and it just immediately changed your positioning changed kind of everything about your feelings and your emotions. Um, Sometimes having a special place can really help us to engage. And I think there's something to that of creating a special place. And if you make that special place something like your room and and you kind of create a sacred or a holy space and a place that you spend a lot of time in, it'll really help key in your prayer life. Furthermore, it's really setting aside the idea of this this private place, your room, from doing something outwardly in public. And it says they love to pray standing in the synagogues. Now, a synagogue was 
where the Jewish people worshipped, but it was also kind of a public forum, almost like a community center. You know, instead of saying don't pray out loud in in worship, it's really this idea of why are you praying? Are you praying to be seen so that other people will see what's going on and think, oh, wow, look how holy this person is? Or are you doing it for God? Are you actually trying to speak to God? Are you trying to get God to hear you? Who is it for? Is it for others is there, or is it for God? And that's really what Jesus is saying. So don't bog yourself down too much in all of the different words. Bog yourself down in the question of when you pray, who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for yourself and God or are you doing it for others? Because what Jesus is saying here is if you're doing it for others, well, guess what? You already got your reward. You got what you wanted by having other people notice you. And that's it. Don't expect anything else because you got what you really wanted. In other words, God knows your intent. And if your intent is to get things from other people, well, then what's what's the worry of worrying about the, the content of whatever it was that you were saying, if that wasn't what your intention was to begin with? So now that we kind of had that preface out of the way, let's let's hop into the meat of how Jesus is talking about how to pray. Now he says, our Father in heaven. This is really kind of designating who you're talking to. Now for us, a lot of us who are monotheistic, which means like we believe in one God, um, it might seem strange to need to specify which God you're talking to. But that wasn't always the case. Now, the people that Jesus was talking to, now, they probably were monotheistic. They were most likely all Jews. But they were also under um, the Roman rule. They were f- well aware of the reality of other gods. So Jesus goes out of the way of saying, let's specify it. God, the Father, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, our Father in heaven, hallowed, in other words, holy, holy, this, this, this word that's kind of describes the indescribable essence of God, this perfection, this, this otherness. Be your name. Now, the name is really important. I love bringing this up because when Moses... Back, we're talking now pre-Exodus. When Moses is at the burning bush, Moses asks the God in the burning bush, hey, who who am I going to tell Pharaoh that sent me here? In other words, which God? What's your name? And God answers, Yahweh, in other words, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Yahweh. I am the God of gods. And so whenever you see Lord with the capital L and then the smaller capital O-R-D, that's a translation or kind of a, a, a way to cover up the use of Yahweh because the word in the name of Yahweh is so sacred and so meaningful that people didn't want to accidentally misuse it. So when it says, do not take the Lord your God's name in vain, it's saying, do not take the name of Yahweh, in vain, because someone's name was their reputation. And if you knew someone's name, you had their power. It's kind of almost, not exactly, but it's almost similar to nowadays in America. When you're born, you usually register and get a social security number. 
almost everything is tied to that social security number. It, it, it's your identity. It, it's kind of your identifying marker. If somebody has your social security number, they could probably take out a loan in your name. They could do a lot of things in your name. Well, oftentimes in biblical times, if somebody knew your name, they could do things on your behalf. And so by God revealing God's name as Yahweh, God was giving Moses the ability to do things on God's behalf. And Jesus will give that power to his disciples. But so when we are acknowledging at the beginning, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Let it be reminded, just like in the Ten Commandments, that you have got a holy name. Let's be reminded of who we're talking to here. And the whole story of that revelation of name, that revelation, and the, the gift of the power and of knowledge and of, of Yahweh. Your kingdom come. Notice it's not ours. It's your kingdom come. It calls back to when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God has come and is now here. Your kingdom come. It's an asking. It, it, it's not us, hey, let's go to you. It's you Bring your kingdom to us. Your will be done, not mine. Your will, God, on earth as it is in heaven. It's a coming to prayer. It's not a take us to you. It's a bring yourself and your way and your kingdom to us. Heaven come down. Give us today our daily bread. It calls back to the, to mind the images of the manna in the wilderness after the exodus, that each day they would go out and they would collect enough of this sweet bread for the day. And they were only supposed to collect enough for the day because they were supposed to rely on God to provide. And if they kept too much, except for on the Sabbath, it would go stale and we would know um, who had kept too much. And it was really kind of a test of trust. So right here it's, a, it's saying, hey, God, we call back to what you've done, that you have been faithful. Help us to remain reliant upon you and your faithfulness. Give us today our daily bread. Provide for us and help us to constantly remain reliant and faithful in your provision. Forgive us our debts. I don't know about you, but I've got some debts I'd like to have forgiven. Um but forgive us our debts. Debt forgiveness is huge in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. Um, there was there was the, the year of Jubilee, and there's the sabbatical year. There's all of these particular times in the Jewish calendar that are meant to kind of offset debt and help kind of free people not only because our, our debt is a reminder of that this world kind of has a way it needs to do things. And so the, the relief from debt is, is a reminder of the relief from sin, but also that we live in a society where we should be going back to freedom. I got a little bit off topic there, but just just know, feel free sometime. Go, it, It's worth a Google. Google year of Jubilee or the sabbatical year or even just debt in um, the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. It's really, it's worth it. But the idea is, forgive us our debts. Our, our ultimate debts are to God. But then here's the second part, as we have also forgiven our debtors. There's a, there's, 
there's kind of a two-way street here. Everything is tied between our expectations and hopes from God and the expectations from God to us and how we treat others. Even if you look at the Old Testament um, Ten Commandments, you kind of have this split between the commandments of what deals with our relationship between us and God and then our relationship between us and each other. And that is tied back in here and is going to come full circle again. So if we expect God to forgive our debts, we need to be forgiving other people's debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Fairly self-explanatory. For if you forgive, now this is Jesus not talking about prayer, but this is kind of a, like a caveat. He's giving a little addendum here at the end of the prayer, saying here's something to know about this. God's going to forgive you, but you got to forgive other people. It's not a one-way street. It's a both-and kind of thing. You need to be forgiving others if you want God's forgiveness. So it's not, a, a, it's not always our favorite thing to do, but it's a reminder that if we have an expectation of God, if we want something from God, why in the world would we think that God wouldn't want that from us when it comes to how we treat other people? Throughout the Bible, it's always about our relationship with God and our relationship with others. They go hand in hand. And the letter of 1 John, it goes out of the way of, the, the writer goes out of the way to say, how in the world can you say you love God if you don't love others? Other people, you can see. They're right in front of you. How can you, how can you say you love an invisible God if you can't love the invisible person in front of you? Same thing goes with prayer. Prayer not only, we're, we're not just seeking to try and change God's mind. We're seeking to be changed in prayer. And it starts with where and how we do it, to what we're asking for, and what are the ramifications. All right? Those are kind of the three parts to this is how and why and where are you praying? What are you praying for? And what's its impact on your life? So I want you to think about that. That's, a, that's kind of a primer. Hopefully gave you a little bit of insight to the Lord's Prayer. This Sunday at the Pillar, we're going to be talking about prayer as we really introdu- introduce this new concept of the way of the Pillar, where we're really going to be talking over the next four weeks about four concepts of how people who are Christians or who claim Christianity should be trying to live out their life. And that's prayer, communion, giving, and service. And so we'll get a little bit more into what all that entails over the next couple of weeks. But hopefully this at least gave you a little bit of insight for some prayer. Um, I hope that you enjoy the song that we're going to play for you on the way out. Today we're going to play a song that I'm sure you've heard on the radio at this point by Lauren Daigle. It's something that's really spoken to me, and I hope it speaks to you. And I really hope that you have a great week. See you next week. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough 
Every single lie that tells me I will never measure love Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know Every failure, God, you'll have every victory.